Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. Also, as a reminder, please refrain from any photography of this performance, as it is prohibited by law, and this is a podcast, so it would be fruitless. Speaking of fruit, snacks are permitted and frankly encouraged during this performance. The louder the rapper, the better. We can't hear you. That's how podcasts work. Please be advised that this production could contain Broadway shows with overall financial losses, those with less than 250 performances, some that had no national tour after their initial Broadway engagement, and Broadway shows that never actually opened on Broadway. In the unlikely event of a podcast emergency, please take a moment to locate the exit nearest to you. If you are listening on the John, please make sure you flush. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. tuning back into my favorite flop episode two can you even believe it it's very exciting we're so excited to be back with everyone all right bobby how was your week my week was good i uh yeah it's it's crazy the world is still upside down january who would have thought uh but we're here we're alive we're healthy um so what have you been listening to this week I so I told you last week I was going to listen to six and I had every intention of doing it and I didn't. So this week I have actually been listening to you're going to laugh at this one, but it's a good one. Uh um, Demos from the abandoned Jim Steinman Batman musical. Wow. That is quite impressive. No, they're quite they're quite magical. I I don't know if I would say they're good, but they're magical. <laughs> and I have been listening to them and they've been quite lovely. So that is what I have been listening to. Christina, what have you been listening to? Um, what have I been listening to? I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, which doesn't really pertain to this. Um, but uh I I've been kind of going through my Miller time playlist which includes a lot of obscure rock music oh yeah yeah like, <laughs> like what like reliant k okay um for anyone who knows them they're the best for anyone who doesn't know them go look them up they're pretty awesome and uh, i've always said that reliant k if you took reliant k songs you could make a musical because they write story songs which oh. is not necessarily normal for rock songs right um especially rock songs from like 2004 um but uh they are inspired by the beach boys and the beatles and so they have a lot of really fun sounds and harmonies in their in their work and they just write really silly stuff a lot of people know sadie hawkins dance by them sadie hawkins dance in my khaki pants there's nothing better and girls that's a guys no okay um no. i could go on but <laughs> but you can't because of copyright so 
We might have to cut <laughs> snip snip. A little no, bit of that. I'm your biggest fan, Reliant K. Don't be mad. So Reliant K, I, I've never heard of them before, but it's on my list. So this week I, I am determined I'm going to listen to Six and I'm going to listen to Reliant K so I can at least be like, yeah, those were great suggestions. Or Christina. What's no, wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Uh, okay, so we're here and it's episode two and we have a really exciting show this week uh, on My Favorite Flop. Are you ready to tell them what it is, Christina? I'm so excited. All right, so let's go through the clues, Christina. We gave some we gave some good ones, and we have clue number five to give today. So the first one we gave at the end of last episode. Right, which in was the that orig- the London production was led by Luke Evans of Beauty and the Beast fame. I mean other things, too. But other things yes, too. Luke Evans, Beauty and the Beast, guest But on. we're trying to connect it to musical theater. Okay, fine. Okay, okay. and clue number two... Uh, which we put on Twitter, was that the show opened on November 13th, 2003 on Broadway. And then we have clue number three, which was on Instagram, and that was um, a visual clue, a corner of the poster. Which was followed by that wonderful blog post about musicals based on the lives of pop stars, because clue number four was that this musical is based on the life of a pop star. And Christina, are you ready? Give them clue number five. Clue number five, the lead producer of this musical was a famous talk show host at the time. All right. What is it, Bobby? Tell Taboo! Me it <gasps> Taboo! So, yeah, this musical is interesting because it is a flop. Uh, I don't think that anyone would argue with the fact that this show uh, didn't necessarily do very well on Broadway. However, this show has a huge cult following. I have met so many people in my life who are obsessed with this show, uh, one of which uh, Nick DeGruccio. It's a a big one. People really have strong feelings about this show. Really strong feelings. A friend of mine was in the ensemble on Broadway, and he said, I mean, this man has worked on massive shows, but he has always said that Taboo was one of those shows for him that was a highlight of his career. Oh, Because wow. it was so special. It was so special to him to work on that show. Right. So where do we jump in? Where should we jump in with this? Well, we should we should probably chat briefly about where Taboo comes from. Right. So at the heart of it, at the heart of it, and no matter what production you look at, it is a musical about, kind of, sort of, Boy George, famous pop star, and his friends uh, in the club scene of the 1980s. That at the heart of Taboo, that is the general plot of what it is. And uh, when I was doing my research for today's episode, that's kind of what the genesis of it all was about, is somebody approached Boy George uh, in the early 2000s and said, hey, why why don't you write a musical about your life? And he said, ugh, I'm not interested in that at all. And then this guy was basically like, well, what if you what if you write a musical kind of about your life? And he's like, I could get on board with that. <laughs> so that's that's where Taboo came into being. Yeah. Um, I mean, the club scene was fascinating. I was I looked at some clips from the Broadway production and those costumes, man. I mean, the drag scene for what the club era was is incredible. And it. It just makes me want to watch Drag Race all over again. <laughs> I, well, well that, it's crazy you bring up Drag Race because, you know, Boy George uh, and, uh, you know, his posse were big in the London, you know, club scene. But in New York City, famously, you know, with like Michael Aleg and uh, 
of course, RuPaul was 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 very much part of that scene in New York City, like while it was happening in the UK. So it's interesting because so much of what RuPaul's Drag Race is today, it's such a popular show. RuPaul is now leading Old Navy commercials. You know, yeah, it's all is. over my TV. It's so much of it harkens back uh, to what this musical is about in that era and the makeup and the, you know, costumes and the partying and the music and just so much of it. And Taboo really kind of celebrated it, I think, before it became mainstream. Uh, and it was produced in the early, you know, 2002, 2003 at a time that uh, this wasn't really mainstreamed. Who was it produced by, Bobby? Well, Rosie O'Donnell, obviously, which is part of the legend and lore of Taboo. You can't talk about Taboo without mentioning Rosie, uh, because even though she didn't produce the original London production, uh, she produced the Broadway production and, uh, you know, so much of the myth and mystery surrounding it, which we're going to get into, is the fact that she was the lead producer on this and put $10 million of her own personal money into the show to bring it to Broadway. Whoa, that is a lot. That's a lot of money. You know, I was looking into what was going on during the time of when this opened so this opened um in november november 13th 2003 right and uh that's only two years after 9-11 and 9-11 for those who don't know um decimated broadway it oh shut decimated it down. decimated and broadway in 2003 we invaded iraq um there were the bombings in istanbul and on top of that um Tourism was down a crazy amount in New York because people were concerned about traveling, one, the safety of the city, two, and also there was all of these lawsuits happening with air quality and and the cleanup that was happening uh, in downtown with the Twin Towers and then green lighting the new tower. And then I learned this while I was doing this research, but apparently the Statue of Liberty was shut down for those two years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And so even when this when Taboo opened, the Statue of Liberty wasn't open and it just got funding privately. Um, it got a private donation so that way they could up their security and open it back up to the public. But that wasn't going to happen till mid 2004. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. it was such a I mean, 9-11 is considered one of the things that almost killed Broadway. Uh, so many fantastic shows that we might actually cover on this podcast, they're going to be ones that, that we're going to talk about and we're going to be like, this shouldn't have flopped. If the Twin Towers hadn't fallen, they, they would not be on this podcast. After 9-11, you know, you know what, do you know what musical was considered to be the show that saved Broadway after 9-11, right? Yeah, I believe it's Wicked, isn't it? No, Mamma Mia. Oh, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, which came to Broadway and... People say that if it had opened prior to 9-11, it might have ran, but it like took over and that's all people wanted was ABBA songs and a, a plot from some movie that nobody, I don't even remember the name of the title. It's based on a movie, believe it or not. That I did not know. But that's what people wanted after 9-11. And if you look at what won the Tony for Best Musical 
in those following years, you know, things like The Producers was popular, things like Hairspray. People wanted big musical comedies. Uh, they wanted to feel better about themselves. They wanted positivity. Uh, the world of Broadway was very specific. So for something like Taboo to come into existence was so left field. Well, and what... it was also still competing with Laboem was on during that season. So was Rent. Rent was still running. Um, you had all these other Boy From Oz, Boy From Oz also. So you had all these giant feel-good LGBTQ-based musicals. Well, I guess Rent isn't feel-good, but it already had such a life and such a love um, in New York and and with the general public that it, it could live on through 9-11. Um, and then you also had Wicked open three weeks before, two weeks before Taboo opened. Oh, yeah. It and opened around Halloween. So. It opened uh, October 30th, 2003. Yeah. And then you also had Avenue Q. And Avenue Q actually won Best Musical that year over Wicked, which... Shocking. Shocked everyone. Shocked the world. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So a little show like Taboo, unfortunately, I don't think stood a chance. Well, it's funny that you say little because the original West End production absolutely was. You know, it was produced in essentially a basement that had been converted into a theater. I think it may have actually been a nightclub at one point. It was, yeah. And uh, it was done very small. I think uh, I read it had 350 seats, which on Broadway, you can't even have a Broadway theater unless it has 500 seats or more. So it's smaller than what we would even consider Broadway. Uh, it didn't really have polished choreography. The direction was very, you know... Um, just it was it was a it was a basement we would consider it an off-broadway show you know right and uh it had a modest run in the uk and then rosie o'donnell threw over 10 million at it and made it this broadway thing but, the, but sorry the whole point i was trying to say is people were considering it to be the battle with wicked before it opened before anything happened you know, Rosie was throwing this money at it. It was this big, splashy thing. So it started as a small thing, but people referred to Wicked and Taboo as being the big blockbusters of that season. Wow. They were the big money shows. Avenue Q was the little guy. Carolina Change was the nonprofit little, you know, little guy. <laughs> <laughs> These, this was, this was expected before anything got out. Before. Her, Previews started before any of the drama kind of made its way into the press. Uh, people expected big things out of this. This was supposed to be a big juggernaut, which is crazy to think about. I mean, I, the music in Taboo is so much fun. There's that song. Um, I think it's the second or third song in the show. And it's this big, epic, belting song from the from the female and it is so much fun oh i have to um, see if i can find it there's a lot of songs like that in the show and they i mean they do a couple of boy george singles and stuff um right but well, the that, music is so much fun well that's the crazy thing is so going into researching this episode i really didn't know a lot about taboo i thought it was a jukebox musical it is not really it is an original score written by Boyd George and some other people uh, that features like one or two, maybe two songs, yeah. popular songs. Uh, Come a Chameleon and uh, what was his other big one? Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Thank you. Yeah. And uh, he he was nominated for a Tony for Best Original Score. And people thought he was going to win. Um, it's interesting because... 
in the US, the show didn't get the best reviews, but the reviewers, or at least the critics, uh, did praise what Boy George had done as far as writing was concerned. And people thought that it was in the bag that he would win best score at the Tony Awards that year. Um, and that's clearly not what happened. In no, fact, but Boy George was in the show. He was. Okay, so we have to go back because we're talking about the Broadway version. But like, so it opened in the West End in this warehouse with Luke Evans, who's a big movie star now. And he's young. I watched. So they filmed the West End production, believe it or not. Yeah, you can um, buy it on DVD. You can buy it on DVD. I watched the entire thing. And uh, it's so interesting to see how young he looks. Because I don't consider him to be a particularly old actor. But he looks like a child and he kind of talks like a child and he's like a young ingenue, like boy next door kind of guy. And now he's Luke Evans, which is just blows my mind. But it's him. It's Ewan Morton, which I think basically this show discovered him. Yeah, because uh, Ewan ended up going with it to New York. They well, because it's freakish. So you, you, so I, viewers, not viewers, listeners, uh, I watched the West End production, but Christina was able to watch the Broadway production. And Ewan is in both of them. He's the only real cast member from the original cast to come and do both. It's freakish how close he looks and sounds like Boy George, right? Yes. I actually found, um, an interview that Boy George did when the show was about to move to New York and he was doing an interview with Graham Norton. And those who don't know Graham Norton, just go and do a deep dive into YouTube because it's some of the best interviews you'll ever watch. Um, They're pretty But awesome. he was talking about how he's not playing himself. He's playing a different character in the show, but um, that they found Ewan and he was like, what's great about Ewan? He has my nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, of all things. Oh my! But it it's, is he. He really emulates him, um, and it's he has such an ease to him on the stage. Watching Ewan was so much fun. So yeah, um, so Ewan did it in the in the West End. Uh, something I learned: he's not in the video because Boy George plays Lee Bowery in the the video of the West End production, and he played the role on Broadway as well. He opened the Broadway production, but that role was originally done by Matt Lucas from Little Britain. Like, are yeah. you a fan? I wish I had video of Matt Lucas doing it because Boy George is good in the role, but Matt Lucas would have been epic. Spectacular. I just like I'm imagining all of the things that I watched Lee Bowery do in the show, at least on the West End production. I'm like, yeah, Matt Lucas was probably better in that role. So you and actually wasn't the first choice. No, he he was cast in another role in the original workshop. I He's think the role was called like, or something. It was like called Trojan or something. That's yeah. what I found in some interview. And then um, the guy who was playing Boy George got sick or injured or something. And so they called him in from the ensemble to take over for a couple nights. And they're like, nope, this is it. It was a total Sutton Foster and Millie moment. Oh, my goodness. Well, it unfortunately, Ewan did not win a Tony Award for this, but he was nominated. He was nominated. He was nominated, and he was nominated for a drama desk. He might have won something. He won the Theater World Award. Right. And Which Raul is a big deal. Esparza, who I adore, uh, won the Drama Desk for his featured role in the show. And for those oh. of you who have not seen his costume in this show, please go look it up. It is amazing. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So the show went from London 
Rosie saw it in this basement. Um, it was it. The critics actually liked it in the UK, uh, but it didn't. It didn't run for a very long time. I don't know if I would say the London production necessarily flopped so much as it just kind of existed and then it closed. And uh, but Rosie saw it, brought it to Broadway, and like you were saying, uh, Rolla Sparza uh, joined the cast. So they totally they did so much. There's so much. They rewrote the show. So yeah. So in in the in the West End. In the UK, the show is about these people in the club scene, but they wrote a fictional love story between this guy named Billy, uh, who is a photographer who runs away from home, runs to the city, wants to be involved. And then this girl named Kim, who's like in the club scene, she's they call her a goth, but I don't whatever. Um, And there it's this love scene between the two of them. So it's this very classic heteronormative love story set against this world. So everyone else is a peripheral character and it's made to be more digestible for the audience. When they brought it to Broadway, they're like, nah, let's just ditch those characters and make it about Boy George, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because I went and read the synopsis of the London version and I actually found it really convoluted. I couldn't keep things straight when I was reading it um, because it they wanted to focus on boy George, but like you said, they created Billy and they were focusing on him and his family issues, but then kept bringing it back to boy George. And I'm like, well, who am I supposed to be paying attention to? Right. And then when they brought it to Broadway, like we said, they completely cut Billy and, and all of his family characters. And that entire storyline went out the window and it became more about boy George and his relationships in the club scene. But thinking back on it without having a, person like Billy who's never been a part of the club scene and comes in to it that is uh, allows the audience to be the voyeur right to be the fly on the wall to watch what happens within this world right Um, and losing that I think you actually I understand why they cut all of it because it was just too much but I think if they had kept Billy to a certain degree it would have been more digestible for larger masses, right? For the more general public um, to then learn about this, this amazing subculture, basically. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you look at a show like Cabaret, you know, and for all intents and purposes, because the role of Cliff, you know, Clifford in that show, I think is meant to represent the author the, the the guy who wrote berlin stories you know um it, it it kind of is framed that way and depending on what production you see it's really framed that way or it's not but the reason i think that show works is that sally is just as much an integral part of the story uh as is the mc so they have this really you know you watch it and cliff is very much the the gateway into that story but it's still very much a story about Sally Bowles, you know, and all of this other stuff. And I think that um, that's not the case with the original Western production of Taboo. You know, it's not. Yeah. Here's this dude who's going to tell us about this stuff because Boy George is the more interesting character and he's oftentimes not the focal point. And then he comes in and you're like, wait, do I care about you or do I care about Billy? Like, what's going on yeah, here? Exactly. And it's also interesting because in the in the London version, they kind of play with this idea of exploring sexuality because Billy Boy George kind of falls in love with Billy and it's unrequited. And um, 
Billy trying to figure out if that's who he is or if it's not or you know and there there's a little bit of that but there's just not enough time to delve well, into things like that in this yeah, musical it's kind of hinted at like i mean it's very clear in the london production that billy is straight like yeah but he is willing to flirt with men kind of sort of to get what he wants but nothing more than just very surface passing I mean, you don't see him make out with Boy George at some point. You know what I mean? You don't see them do anything to be like, oh, he's really this kind of confused or. Yeah, it's it's more it's it it doesn't go far enough to to kind of explore that area, yeah. you know, uh, which is why I think one of the reasons on Broadway, they added the Boy George's boyfriend character, which kind of fulfills that. Right. Right. Because uh, it goes full on. He's like, no, I'm straight. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. I I think that this show had so many possibilities. Right. So many possibilities. Um, And I don't know if it was that it needed another workshop since they were going to do such a dramatic change before bringing it to Broadway. Um, But at the same time, what they did bring to Broadway was so much fun. And I think really celebrated club culture as well as the lgbtq community um which ironically at the time earlier in 2003 massachusetts supreme court had ruled it um, unconstitutional to ban same-sex marriages which is a really it was a win for the lgbtq was that the first state i believe so oh my gosh yeah it's such a it's interesting because you know now at least in the worlds that well it's 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 legal nationwide like it's i remember when it wasn't legal anywhere so it's kind of insane to think back to that time period but 2003 wasn't the most like liberated america so this musical was very queer very in your face and uh the marketing campaign which a lot of people blame as one of the reasons that the musical didn't do well was very much embraced that like the posters uh, and the billboards for Taboo on Broadway, not in the West End, but on Broadway, they were like pictures of men peeing at a urinal. You know what I mean? Suggesting like sketchy, like gay bathroom sex. And it's like, come see Taboo. This is Broadway. Which is interesting because that's not what it celebrates. No. And like <laughs> like some of the merchandise, one of the things that I saw was they sold keychains, like as you do for a Broadway show. But they had condoms inside. Like... Here's your emergency condom. So I was really trying to push some something that I don't even know if the musical was. You know what I mean? No, so it was a very confusing marketing campaign that surrounded yeah, the show. I, that's that's so interesting because in all of my research on this, none of it felt like it was about. I mean, it's about sexuality, of course, but it's not sure. about sex. No, it was more about just like expression and art. Mm-hmm. You know, expressing yourself and expressing who you really are and things i actually think that taboo would probably do a lot better today uh than it did back in 2003 Uh, i think that we should inspire rupaul to executive produce the revival and they go back in and fix the script problems well yeah well the script okay so that's that's obviously that changed so the original book writer was replaced when it moved to broadway oh uh and do you know who replaced them no so uh, Charles Bush, which is a famous queer playwright, 
Uh, you may have heard of some of his plays, Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. No. <laughs> Uh, but no, Cycle Beach Party, which is also a movie uh, that I adore with Lauren Ambrose. Uh, he did it as a play off Broadway. Um, Die, Mommy, Die is another is a movie that oh, he did. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Uh, he's a famous drag performer, but he wrote plays for himself to be in. And um, The Tale of the Allergist Wife. That was a big like play on Broadway. That's just a silly title. Who starred in that one? I think Linda Lavin starred in it. Nice. And uh it would, that one wasn't a drag show at all. But this is a celebrated queer playwright in New York City was brought in to rewrite the book. And people who saw his first draft because there was so much crazy press around the show. So like reporters were like like having spies and rehearsals and in backstage meetings and getting stuff sent to them. Um, Michael Riedel at the New York Post famously had a vendetta against this show and was constantly writing stories about it, um, you know, airing all the dirty laundry, but claimed that he had been given the first draft of the script and it was just wonderful. And that reportedly during rehearsals, uh, so much of it had been thrown out. And there's a lot of conflicting stuff as to why so many good beats of dialogue didn't end up on the Broadway stage. Um, but a lot of it's alluded to the fact that Boy George, or George O'Dowd is his real name, uh, ended up being in it. And he's a fantastic performer, but maybe not the strongest actor. So there were moments to flesh out the characters more and things like that. And uh, the director or Boy George, if things weren't working or if he wasn't able to, to you know, make things happen, uh, they didn't end up on stage, which I think probably didn't help. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. It'd be fun. I think that they should bring back Matt Lewis to do it. Or Matt Lucas, sorry. Bring back Matt Lucas uh, when they do the revival. RuPaul, hello. Um, and RuPaul, I think you should play Marilyn. That's what I think. RuPaul should play Marilyn. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I think, I okay, I think Matt Lucas could still do it. I think, you know, you bring up RuPaul and you brought up RuPaul twice now. I think that obviously in RuPaul culture, I think, taboo absolutely makes sense for a revival but i think several queens from the show could be in it like i i don't oh, know yeah. how well you know i don't we've actually never talked rupaul me and you oh, so i don't know I how much you watch up to season 11 great so jinx monsoon should play I love jinx monsoon. no but that's who you get to play lee bowery she could sing it and she would that's be true. fantastic so like because there aren't a lot of girls who actually sing sing on the show but there are a couple yeah, no, there are. I mean, um, uh, Mattel. Mattel Trixie, has an entire was, album. Trixie, I knew you were going to say Trixie. Yeah, I mean, she's great. And uh, there are so there are some queens on that show who are truly fantastic performers, fantastic actors. Right. And you could easily pull from their fandom. And what would be fun is, like I've mentioned with Six before, if you like got a rotation of them. Right. Right. Because there's Absolutely. so many to choose from. Why not put them on rotation? Right. Yeah, I think I think it could be redone. Well, OK, so what are so you watch the Broadway production? What are some things that you feel didn't work? I mean, I think we've established that the score is fantastic. And uh, again, that was the opinion at the time. You know, uh, even the critics who didn't like the show thought the score was wonderful. Uh, the story, maybe not so good. What were some other things you felt about what you watched that um didn't Honestly, work. some of it was actually really hard to understand for American actors who were trying to do these UK dialects. Right. Um, I that's one of my pet peeves is 
bad UK dialects. For those of you who don't know, if we didn't mention it earlier, my husband is a Brit. So there's that. Um, And so some of it was actually quite difficult to understand. And I don't think some of the comedy landed because the American actors didn't actually understand the comedy. Right. Which is something that you have to deal with. I mean, we saw that with Matilda um, and some other uh, even Kinky Boots. Like, I think Kinky Boots is far more successful a show in London than it is here. Um, really? It is some of the best musical theater work I've ever seen in my life. Really? Um, and I okay. did not like the American production at all. Oh, no, I saw I saw the I saw it on Broadway three times and I loved it. But but anyway, to each, so a, I think to each their part, own. There was some of that. There was um, translation problems, so to speak. I actually really loved I know that I've I've read some reviews from fans who don't love the choreography from the from the Broadway production, but I actually loved it. Right. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, Wedding Singer, which is I have a special place in my heart for that show. Right. Um, it, it definitely had that feel to it. I it also a- like that it wasn't like a really elaborate set. It was super simple. It reminded me a lot of Jersey Boys, actually. It right. had the two tiers and it was very simple. It had a, a wall that they utilized in the back where they could do projection and stuff like that. I don't know. It also didn't feel like there was a really strong antagonist. Right. Like there wasn't really a villain. Right. Um, there wasn't anything besides like Boy George's drug drug abuse problems. There wasn't a lot of fight right. happening. Um, and I think that, again, that comes back to the book. And I think that they could make that clearer yeah. in a certain way or give him a better antagonist to follow. I really loved Ewan in it and his his work in it was absolutely beautiful. And Raul Esparza steals the show every time he's on stage which i mean that's just par for the course um yeah so that that was kind of my takeaway from it is i didn't know what boy george was fighting for okay if that makes sense sure yeah it uh i haven't seen it the broadway version obviously but i've read a lot about it you know it's interesting because rollis barza and uh liz mccartney who play uh Philip and Big Sue, they're smaller characters in the West End. In fact, Big Sue is an extremely minor character in the West End production, and Philip is a larger one, but not the same way. They narrate the Broadway show. You know, it's kind of done flashback, right? They they they're like in modern day, and he's from what I read, he spins a disco ball, and they go back to the eighties, and everything yeah, happens. Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of that. It wasn't. It wasn't as prevalent, like it didn't, it wasn't okay. something that really stuck with me, that aspect of the show. Um, so it didn't feel like they were narrating, like they didn't have bits where it was like, we're going to tell you stuff or. There were moments of that, like there was monologuing to the audience, very a la, again, Jersey Boys. Sure. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't as thick okay. as Jersey Boys is. Like Jersey Boys is all monologuing well, to the audience, right? And this wasn't that that right. much narration um it has some but not a ton okay all right well so do you think i mean obviously the show has issues you know it's not a perfect musical uh, but there are very few perfect musicals and, and plenty of shows that are not perfect run for a very long time um you know i think we'll get into 
briefly uh, about some of the reasons why externally the show didn't do well. But do you think that barring the things that we're about to talk about, do you think that if that show that you had watched opened at a different time, that it would that it might be successful? Or do you think that it may have flopped regardless? No, I think that it would have been more successful had it not been running against these other massive shows. Right. That And that's a huge thing is is there's an entire documentary about this Broadway season called Show Business. And uh, it chronicles, you know, the 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 Broadway season of Wicked, Carolina Change, Avenue Q and Taboo, which at the start of the season, everyone expected to be, you know, the four nominees for Best Musical. And the one that didn't end up getting the nomination, obviously, was this one. Uh, but that's yeah, not what people expected. It obviously was a letdown to the critics of Broadway, um, which is unfortunate. But I think because they did a revival in London, I believe, in 2012 yeah. that mm-hmm. did all right. Um, wasn't still wasn't as successful uh, as I think it could be. I think I think if it got in the right hands and came lucked out with with the right season right in terms of what else is it going against i think it could do really really well because it has such a wonderful cult following to it already and the spirit of the show is so heartfelt and so much fun um it could easily open up to a a wider audience than um the lgbtq community um So, yeah, I think that in the right season and in the right hands, it could really be successful. Yeah. And I and I think that that might mean, unfortunately, that Miss Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, we haven't really talked much about that, uh, but it might mean that Rosie might have to let someone else take the reins because a lot of the controversy surrounding the show was Rosie O'Donnell. You know, she um, produced Does she still own the rights to it. She does, or at least Ooh. she did up until recently, uh, at least in the United States. She personally retained the rights to it. Uh, she has talked over the years about how she wants to revive it and fix it, even recently. Um, and she's barred anyone else from doing it. You know, the rights never got released to Taboo. You can't license it to do it anywhere else um, in the United States, at least. Uh, I don't know about the UK, but I, it, it's interesting that the, the UK revival had the same director, uh, it brought back the original book writer uh, and put all the, you know, Billy, all those characters back into the show. But um, Rosie produced it. And this is 2003. And it's interesting now because so many people have negative opinions about her in 2020. Uh, and this is kind of when all of that first started. She was the queen of daytime talk show in in the late 1990s. In fact, there were moments she was even more popular than Oprah was. You know, was a which is a big deal, which is why when Oprah got her own TV network, who did she hire? Rosie O'Donnell didn't work out well, but uh, Rosie's show was really popular and she loved Broadway. I mean, she basically credits herself of like discovering Kristen Chenoweth, you know, featuring her on the Rosie show back before she won her Tony and was famous and loves Broadway. You know what? Still to this day, loves Broadway. And um, she... She came out. So this is some interesting stuff that I want to point out because the show is a is a queer show and came Did out she a very come out inter- after producing this? No, she came out in 2002, right okay. before right before Taboo went in. And 
just like Ellen, received a lot of backlash from everybody when she came out, even though I don't think there's anyone who didn't know that Rosie O'Donnell was a lesbian before she came out of the closet. But the minute she came out of the closet, uh, opinions changed very, very stark. Ellen has been able to shift the tide, but Ellen basically got blackballed from Hollywood when she came out. And Rosie, very similar um, situation. So she came out in 2002. And then she also quit her magazine, the Rosie magazine that year, because she didn't feel like... She had a magazine? Yes. So she (laughs) took over... I think it was McCall's magazine, which is a women's magazine. They rebranded it as Rosie magazine. And I think she was editor in chief and she quit in 2002 and became embroiled in all of these crazy lawsuits with the magazine uh, back and forth suing each other. And you probably didn't know this. The trial was the week that Taboo opened on Broadway, her big trial, getting sued by these magazine people. And uh, at the time, everyone was like the queen of nice because that was her nickname has turned into the queen of mean and everyone was airing her dirty laundry. So the entire rehearsal process of Taboo and all of the previews and the Broadway run, it was like all the rag magazines, all they wanted tainted. And so it's like Rosie couldn't even breathe above water, you know, dealing with all of this stuff. And here she is. She put $10 million of her own money into the show and it's not working and she's hardly able to fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's heartbreaking. So that that whole drama, like, it's it's unfortunate because there are there are few people who I love Broadway as much as Rosie O'Donnell does. You know, say what you will. There are few there are few public figures that have a heart on their sleeve for the Broadway community. Yeah, she's a real champion, as, isn't she? She is. And she does really great work with with uh, Rosie's kids in New York. She has a performing arts school where she works with uh, young performers in the city and they do fantastic work. And she puts so much money. I don't know. It's a shame because this yeah. was really her big thing and it didn't didn't, it didn't pan out. It didn't pan out. No. And so, yeah, if it comes back, the whole point I was saying is I don't know if Rosie can be attached to it because it might just be one of those like. Uh, Mark of Cain, like I mean, maybe maybe she should just be a silent partner. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, yeah. Or maybe it'll be what revives her. Maybe I mean maybe people don't. I'm a huge fan of Rosie O'Donnell. I think she's hilarious. Here's the thing: is I mean, I've always said that whenever there's a Donald Trump musical, God save us. (laughs) Like Rosie O'Donnell will be the Che to his Ava. You know what I mean? Like. Because, I mean, she remember they used to just publicly fight with each other all the time. Do you remember that at all? No, it I, was a I big... wasn't very good at pop culture, though. Let's be real. Oh, they used to attack before president, like just on TV, they would attack each other. I, anyway, maybe now that Donald Trump has been arguably the worst president in United States history. I can say that on this podcast. It might I get cut. So. Uh that maybe people don't hate Rosie as much as they used to. And maybe she maybe, called it. She called it. She called it. So that happened. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, you know, it just it can't the controversy has to go away. You know, um the director, oh gosh, the whole director. Did you know this? You no. didn't. Okay. So the show was directed by, I have to look at my notes. Um the show in the, the original West End production was directed by Christopher Renshaw. Okay. And he uh, is a British director, but had famously directed the 1996 
revival of King and I with Donna Murphy. It was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, famously fired from the Broadway production of High Society oh, no. uh, for being uh, difficult and having huge, like, blow-up fits uh, in rehearsals and things like that. And he was basically blacklisted from Broadway after High Society. So when Rosie got the rights to do Taboo, the question was, are you going to keep him? as a director because New York doesn't want him back. And she did. She vouched for him. And then he wasn't able to, you know, put, he wasn't able to, again, she's dealing with lawsuits and stuff. He's really like in charge of this production and wasn't able to fix what needed to be fixed. Okay. So to kind of recap with the Broadway production, uh, despite the fact, okay, it only played a hundred performances and by all intents and purposes flopped, there are some awesome things about it, right? Yes, I agree. I mean, the costumes were incredible, which it got nominated for Tony's for costume design as well as Drama Desk. Um, and I think everyone can agree that it was those costumes were spectacular. <laughs> spectacular. I mean, it's very rare. In fact, it wasn't until I saw Priscilla Queen on the Desert. Uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Is that the name of the title? Yes, that's uh, the title. On Broadway, where there were dancing cupcakes during Someone Left the Tape Cake Out in the Rain. Did I see costumes to even compare? But uh, costumes, uh, the score, again, you you have mentioned it from a personal point of view. I would agree with that. There's some fantastic music in this. And it's so different than anything that opened that season. And like I said, even the critics who didn't like the show uh, loved the score and thought it was one of the strongest pop scores that Broadway had seen in about 10 years, which is insane. I mean, I think prior to this, I mean, even with Rent, I hadn't I don't know that any Broadway score prior to this show sounded like that. No, not an original, not an original score. A lot of shows that have been inspired by the sound. Right. But. Up until that point, this had such a unique sound, which lends itself to, I'm sure, why there was so much excitement as well surrounding the show before it opened. Right. I also love the choreography as a dancer myself. It was so much fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. And I enjoyed it so much. And the performances were great. I mean, Ewan Morton, who is fantastic. Who Fantastic. He, if you have not Googled him doing... Uh, King George and Hamilton, you need to do it because it's not Jonathan Groff, but it's amazing. I think he was doing it right when the pandemic started last year. Oh, no, uh, really? I th- think he was King George on Broadway right when the pandemic sat in. Um, but he, him, Rolla Sparza, young Rolla Sparza, like, hello, Liz McCartney, uh, belting her face off with Talk Amongst Yourselves, which I know so many people who have that song in their audition book. Uh, and they probably don't even know it's from Taboo. But really awesome performances in the show. Uh, you know people who were in it, Christina, that you respect. Uh, one of my really good friends, uh, Gregory Trico, uh, Rich's, rest in peace, his husband, uh, was in it. And he was the understudy for Boy George. So oh, wow. There you go. That's incredible. Uh, and uh, some really awesome performances. Um, really great message. Something that in 2003, I think bringing a queer story again it's so weird that these posters had men standing at urinals and they're giving out keychains with condoms in them because it's not really at the heart of the show what the story's about and i think in i don't know 2020 a story like this if it could be streamlined would be a really positive message uh, for a lot of young 
people, you know, uh, who are finding themselves and in finding acceptance in 2020 that we haven't seen in previous times before. Yeah, I think that this actually is one of those shows that would really lend itself to a movie musical. Right. Not every show needs to be a movie, but I think that this show could really, really do well in that oh, genre. Especially after things like Rocket Man and... I loved um, Rocket Man. I know that's probably uh, an unpopular opinion, but I absolutely loved Rocket Man. Rocket Man, or I want to call it We Will Rock You, but that's not what it's called. It's called Bohemian Rhapsody. Thank you. Just remember. It's the other we, song. The other song. One is a West End musical. One was a movie that won awards. Uh, but in that vein, but unlike both of those movies, this would have an original score, which I think is... Uh, Fascinating. This is a fun fact we haven't even mentioned yet, Christina. This is the only time in history that uh, a pop star has written a musical about themselves and starred in it. Like, that's wow, like, really? that's a, yes. There you because, go. you know, Billy Joe Armstrong, Green Day, they wrote American Idiot, but it's not about Green Day. No, it's you not know? about them. And so he was in it. So he hit two of those. But, and um, has did Cindy Lauper do? Uh, did she ever go into Kinky, Kinky Boots? Boots? No, no he, she never went into it. Not that I know of, at least. I mean, she's been on Broadway. That's the reason I ask. But um, yeah, it's crazy. Boy George wrote this musical about his life, and he also did it on Broadway. That's like he won this weird, you know, triple crown that nobody else has ever won before. That's really awesome, I think. Yeah, yeah and it's interesting because in that interview I talked about with Graham Norton and in that interview he even says he's like well it's kind of based on my life it's not an exact life story not really but kind of because <laughs> they take a lot of liberties within his story right but like you were saying the full message of this of the show is really special and certainly one that's not unique to one person do we think do we right. have, oh Should... you know what there's one thing I'd like to add we talked about how they tried to take this show from a hole in the wall club in the West End to make it Broadway glitzified, right? Right. But one thing that they didn't do that they could have done is they found every physical type, vocal type, the diversity within the show, even within the small characters, the one-liners, even within the ensemble, is immense, which is not normal, especially in 2003 for Broadway, right? Like, it was about finding the sexiest dancers and the best in shape and this, that, and the other. And it wasn't about that. It was about finding the talent and also finding the outsiders, so to speak, and bringing them into the show and making them the highlight of the show. Yeah, absolutely. The, the show opens with a song talking about freaks. And it's so interesting that we talk about subcultures as freaks and how within the Broadway community, we have actually recaptured that word. It's no longer negative. Just like in Shrek, freak, let your freak flag fly. And it is about celebrating our differences. And they really went all the way with that idea and, and, casting a super diverse group no which is which is crazy because it's still pretty rare in 2020 uh you know um this show was celebrated i, I remember that it was celebrated 
at the time for its diversity of types and especially body types and things like that. And coming off of something like Hairspray, which, you know, the lead is celebrated because that was just right before Taboo opened on Broadway. It, it was thought to bring in a change, but it didn't. You know what I mean? Um, well, no, the rest kind of, of that cast were all your atypical cookie cutter musical theater. Right. Well, and and so we've seen we've seen bits and pieces since Taboo, uh, you know, one of which Kinky Boots. That's everyone I know is like, that's the show. It doesn't matter what you look like. You can be in Kinky Boots. Oh, yeah. And it's crazy to think that's written by another, you know, pop star. But uh, there aren't a ton. Dance calls, friends, everybody, every type, every body type shows up to those dance calls because it does not matter. Also, it doesn't matter if you're a dancer. You can be a mover and go to those calls. And they will hire you because it's not about being that atypical idea of beauty. Right. Okay, Christina. So why exactly did this show flop? I mean, we know it flopped because it didn't make its money back. And poor Rosie O'Donnell lost $10 million, which... uh, Yeah, I think that's the number one reason why it's considered a flop. But I also think the short run factors into that a hundred performances i mean if we want to go by ken mandelbaum you know not since gary his rule 250 performances or less it's a flop uh this definitely qualifies according to the 250 performance mark uh being less than that i also think that it lost its critical acclaim for the show as a whole right there were aspects of the show that critics absolutely loved. And then there were aspects of the show that they tore apart. Right. So it didn't, it wasn't like it got rave reviews, like Carolina change did. And then not, you know, it, it's like this didn't, it didn't get the best reviews. So that's probably a good marker as well. Um, Which reviews aren't everything because I would say there's a larger cult following for something like taboo than there is for Carolina change. Another thing, you know, the director is almost fired. Uh, Rolla Sparza famously fought with Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, if there's a lot of backstage drama, that's probably a you know good indication that there's a bigger issue. Right. And uh, yeah, I think ahead of its time, I think that could be a marker for this. I think I that um, Broadway wasn't ready for this story in 2003. It was not what Broadway was looking for. And it wasn't, I, I don't think what American audiences were ready for, but I think... That could be different now. So. I agree. I totally agree. So someone with the money and the know-how, please pick this show up. Give it a new lease on life because it could be great. All right, boys and girls. So for more information about Taboo, head on down to our website at www.myfavoriteflop.com for more information. And be sure to follow us on all the socials at My Favorite Flop. We're going to be dropping more clues about our next episode. Right. And the first clue for our next episode is this. It is based on an MGM movie musical. What? Right. That could be like six different things, but it's only one of them. It's only one of them.
All right, and we'll also be posting links to music, uh, videos, sheet music, if applicable, uh, to this show uh, and our last show. So if you want to, I don't know, buy the cast album to Taboo, uh, make sure you click on our website because we earn like two cents from that purchase and we're poor people. <laughs> we can't wait to see you back here for our next episode of My, My Favorite Flop. Also, be like Dorothy. Stay at home. Wear a mask. Bye, everybody. Bye.